podcast. This is episode 66. This week, I received an email request to talk about feeding therapy, and I wanted to say thank you very much for the email. The feedback that I get from those is very helpful for me, so I know if I'm on the right track or not with my shows. The request was to discuss the topic of feeding with children in early intervention and school ages. I will talk about the evaluation process for feeding concerns, including things to look for during the evaluation, and explanations of why I ask parents certain questions about what their, and about what their answers tell me about their child. If you are a school therapist, you may not have the luxury of asking parents all the questions you would like to. In that case, you have to rely on your own observations and trials to figure out what you think is going on and go from there. The child's teacher is a good resource for you as well, because even if they don't watch them during meals all the time or they're limited to the snacks that are provided, they can give you some insights about how the child responds to sensory processing activities and behaviors in the classroom and things that might carry over between meals and the class. This is a very broad topic. Keep that in mind as I'm talking today. It's not easy to get so specific on the subject because there are so many things to consider. And as we all know, everyone is different. Every child we work with is unique, and so are their parents' concerns and our concerns as their providers. The things I mentioned today will be things for you to watch for and hopefully give you a place to start as far as your treatment planning with kids. If you're not a therapist or a teacher and you are listening as a parent or a caregiver, keep listening. This information can be used by you just as well. You may start to recognize things in your own child, or if you already have concerns with your own child, this might help you figure out where to start or where to go from the place you're at now. Even if you and your child are already working with a feeding therapist, sometimes hearing explanations in different ways from different people can be helpful. I wanted to remind you all to please check out the community resource directory on my website at mymidwesttherapy.com and click on the community resource directory tab. We need to get more people listed on there. Our community needs to get on the directory and make yourselves available for those people who are looking for you. I'm looking for any business or individual who either works with people who have special needs in some way or has some products available for people to purchase. List your business or product on there at a very low advertising rate of only $30 for the whole year. Trust me, it doesn't get lower than that. And you can reach people from your own state to all the way across the world. I have listeners in 51 states in the United States and 56 countries total across the world. So you will be able to reach many people by putting your information out there on my website. The more businesses we get on there, the more likely it is that people will find yours. Right now we have OTs, speech therapists, an app for children with special needs, and more. So check it out and let's help build a community together, one place where people can go to find what they need to help support their children. On the topic of feeding with kids, we often use the term feeding therapy, which I think everyone understands is therapy that will help a child be able to eat safely 
and be able to eat a variety of foods. Keep in mind, though, that as kids grow from being a newborn, an infant, to being an older infant and toddler on up, we typically aren't actually feeding them anymore. Now, of course, there are kids that continue to need help with this for one reason or another, but ultimately we want to hopefully get to a point where we are no longer feeding the child, but now they are feeding themselves or simply just eating. I think this is understood, but sometimes the expectation from parents is that we as feeding therapists are going to come over to feed their child. Where there might be times when this is appropriate, that is actually not the idea, especially long term. Sometimes therapists, and I see this a lot in early intervention, we know what we're doing and we think we know what will work, or at least what to try with kids in various situations with eating. And that might be true and often is the case, but we have to remember that the point is to teach the child and the parent or caregiver how to help them. They are the ones with them on a daily basis, and they will be present for meals a lot more than you will. So we are not doing them justice by having direct therapy with the child for feeding therapy and sending them on their way without educating the family. Like anything, there are exceptions to this, but those exceptions with feeding issues are probably limited to the situations where a child has safety issues with swallowing and the risk for aspirating or choking is very high. These are more likely to be situations where a child maybe has a feeding tube and receives their main nutrition this way and are working on finding safe ways for them to start eating by mouth. In this show, I'm not really going to get into those situations as much. I'm mainly going to focus on kiddos that are eating by mouth but that have some issues with eating but that are managing to eat enough by mouth that they don't necessarily need a feeding tube for their main source of nutrition. The reason for this is that the focus of therapy can be different between each of these scenarios. Although a lot of the information will apply to all kids who have issues with eating, because there can be a lot of similarities in the treatment strategies and activities. Now one other thing I want to say is that if you are a therapist who is just getting into the area of feeding with kids, I would recommend that you read up on the subject as much as you can. Not only that, though, consult with other therapists that have more experience with feeding skills already. This is one area that having the book knowledge and information about the topic is very beneficial and necessary, but experience is maybe even better than that sometimes. If you know anyone who is comfortable working with kids who have feeding issues and they have enough experience to guide you or give you some advice, take as much of it as you can. Don't be afraid to ask questions and consult on the subject when you are unsure about what to do or what's going on. Swallowing difficulties and aspiration is no joke. If it's not required for your job, I would recommend taking a first aid and CPR training class. And if it's been a while, take a refresher course just to be sure. In fact, I would recommend that parents do the same thing. Even if you don't have a child with special needs or feeding concerns, little ones, even without these concerns, can and do choke on foods for one reason or another. Feeding issues can be a real struggle for not only the kiddos but their family as well. And many times it is a stressful and anxiety-ridden activity, so keep that in mind too. 
Some general things that I think about when it comes to eating. Number one, consider any sensory issues. Sometimes these are already known and recognized, and sometimes this is a new revelation. And with this, I'm largely talking about tactile and oral sensory processing, which is how we process things that we touch and how we process sensations in and around the mouth and face areas. Other areas of sensory processing are not to be ignored, though, because they can definitely affect a child's ability to sit at the table and eat. For this area, I like to ask questions of the parents, things like, how often do you see them gag on foods? Or how often do you see them choke on foods? Do they shove too much food in their mouth? Or will they only put one tiny piece in at a time and maybe chew it a hundred times before swallowing? Do they even notice when food gets on their hands or face? Do they like to play in their food and squish it with their hands and rub it around on the tray or the table? What do they do when food gets on their hand, like ketchup or ranch dressing? Can they lick it off or wipe it off by themselves, or do they even notice it? If they get upset by it and you wipe it off for them, will they continue to eat, or is the meal over at that point? Or do they even like to use sauces with their foods, like with chicken nuggets? What would they do if you put in new food on their plate they've never seen before, even if their preferred food is also on the plate? Do they chew foods like crackers or just hold them in their mouth until they dissolve? Do you ever find food hidden away in their cheeks after meals are over? These are some of the questions that typically come up when I'm just getting to know a child and trying to assess the situation with meals. Of course, one question usually leads to another and another, and I have not listed all of the possible questions because we'd be here all day if I tried to do that. Depending on their answers, I either continue on along one line of questions or change and go to a different direction with them to get a more complete picture of the mealtime situation and the child's reactions to things. All of those questions and more give me a pretty good starting point as to where the child is with sensory processing when it comes to eating. I start to figure out if the child has sensitivities with the way things feel on their hands and mouth. I can also get a good idea of whether or not the parent has the same issues most of the time. It is not uncommon for one or both of the parents to have similar issues with getting messy. The apple and the tree scenario applies here quite often. Parents' reactions to their child getting messy is very important. A lot of times, kids will get will base their feelings and reactions on their parents' reactions to things. If the parent says, yuck, that's yucky and messy, when the child gets a little food on their face or hand, the child will also view it as yucky or a bad thing. This is especially true for those kids that already have a tendency towards tactile sensitivity, but maybe not to the extreme at this point where it is affecting them too much. A parent who has issues with any level of messiness will often reinforce this with their child and don't, and we don't want that to happen if possible. If you are a parent who has issues with getting messy, pay attention to this. It is very important for kids to be allowed to get messy and explore foods and textures with their hands. When they have negative feelings about this, you will have a higher chance that they won't want to eat a large variety of foods. Then there are some kids with tactile sensitivities where the parents don't have the same issues and we still have trouble with getting them to eat a variety of foods. So I'm not saying this is caused by parents by any means, 
but your reactions to things during meals can and do play a significant role in how they will proceed going forward. At school, will they participate in sensory play, like with finger painting or using glue for art activities? What happens when they are coloring with markers and they accidentally mark on their finger? This is usually the time when I also ask parents about toothbrushing as well. How a child does with having their teeth brushed tells me so much about their mouth and sensory processing there. Do they resist having the toothbrush in their mouth at all? Will they do it themselves but won't let anyone else do it for them? Do they love the toothbrush and want to bite it and chew on it more than actually brushing? These things all tell me whether or not there might be a sensitivity or if they are possibly seeking more input in that area. Secondly, another area I consider with regard to eating is physical. Where are they with their motor skills? Are they able to sit independently? Are they crawling, walking, or running? How do they look sitting in their high chair or in whatever chair they usually sit in for meals at home or at school? Do they need extra support for this? Do they frequently fall out of their chair or slump down in the seat? Do they get up and run around when they're supposed to be eating? How are their fine motor skills? Do they use their hands to play with toys and activate the buttons? Can they use a spoon or a fork? Or can they just simply use a tool like a stick to bang a drum or other similar actions? Can they bring their hand to their mouth? And can they bring their hand to their mouth with a cracker? As a baby, did they, or do they, bring a toy to their mouth for exploration? This hand-to-mouth connection is very important from an early age. Some babies do not make the connection, but they need to do this in order to be able to feed themselves later on. One thing to find out is if the baby holds their own bottle, or if they aren't holding it yet, do they bring their hands up and touch the bottle while the parent is holding it? This eventually leads to them holding it completely by themselves. A third thing to think about is how they do with drinking. Are they on formula or breast milk still? Do they drink from a bottle or are they nursing? Can they drink from a cup, a straw or a sippy cup or a 360 cup? Have they tried drinking from an open cup that you hold for them or can they do it themselves? For babies, how long does it take them to finish a bottle or finish nursing? Do they have a good latch or is milk leaking out one or both sides? Also, do they maintain the latch for the whole time or do they frequently unlatch and try again? For all babies and kids, are they able to drink without choking or gagging? Do they cough while drinking or after they're done? Do they sound wet or wheezy afterwards? Do they get a lot of ear infections or colds? And have they ever had pneumonia? All of these are considerations for oral motor skills, how they coordinate their suck, swallow, and breathe patterns, and using their lips and their tongue to swallow liquids. Also to find out if it sounds like they might be at risk for aspirating on thin liquids. If you suspect there could be a risk there, they should be referred to get a swallow study if they haven't already, or if it has been a long time since their last one. If they are already on thickened liquids, make sure they are thickening consistently with all liquids. Some things like ice cream, popsicles, applesauce, and soup get overlooked but those are all examples of thin liquids with foods. Sometimes we don't think about the foods um, being considered thin liquids because we tend to focus on what the kids are drinking. 
Number four, of course, a big part of feeding or eating is finding out what the child will and won't eat. Getting a list of their preferred foods, ones that they will consistently eat. We call those the go-to foods a lot of times because when all else fails, parents can go to those and the kids will eat them. I also like to note not only the foods the child will eat consistently, but also ones that they will sometimes eat, but that aren't necessarily preferred or consistent. Of course, I get a list of foods that the child absolutely refuses to eat or even look at or touch or allow on their plate or the table in front of them. When we get these lists, we think about what the textures are like. Are they wet, dry, pureed, solid, crunchy, soft, squishy? What the flavors are like? Are they bland or sweet, salty or spicy or sour? What is the consistency? Do the foods require a lot of chewing or can they just mush the food in their mouth and swallow the bites pretty much whole? Are they finger foods or do they require a spoon? And are they finger foods, but the child will only eat them using a spoon or fork? These questions are, are also largely related back to the sensory processing stuff, but it is a whole consideration in itself to be able to start figuring out where to go from here. When we figure out what our core issues are with meals and eating, we have a list of foods that will help us plan the course of action. Using foods the child likes and is familiar with during the treatment process, in addition to adding less preferred foods, but not ones that they will completely avoid, will go a long way towards success with eating. Another consideration is how the physical structures of their face and mouth are working. Can they close their lips on the spoon to remove the food, or does their mouth hang open and the food gets dumped in off the spoon? Can they use their tongue to move food from the middle to the sides for chewing? Or do they use their fingers to move the food to one or side or the other to chew? Do they only chew on one side, or do they keep the food at the very front of their mouth to chew? Do they even make chewing motions when they have food in their mouth, even if it's not a food they have to necessarily chew? Or even before they have teeth, babies will be able to do this. Can they take a bite off a whole banana or a cracker, or does everything have to be cut up into bite-sized pieces? Do they seem to have a sensitive gag reflex, or can they shove food in and never seem to have a gag reflex at all? Do they take bites, then just spit it back out or remove it with their hands and never seem to actually swallow any? Would they prefer to drink milk all day rather than eat much of anything? If you're working in a school setting, you may not be able to ask parents all of the questions you want to. If you're noticing feeding or eating difficulties at school, though, I'd, rec- I'd recommend 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 a can from the parents about eating. Find out what they do at home, what seems to work best for them there, so you can try to be consistent with it at school, too, and help them be successful in both locations. Of course, the school and home settings are very different no matter what. But if they can be set up as much as possible the same way, it would be ideal. Sometimes, though, what works in one place doesn't work in the other, and you need to be able to adjust for that, too. A final thought on this I want to discuss is behavioral factors. Behavioral responses can can and do play a big part in eating. Sometimes the behaviors are a result of sensory issues or other difficulties with eating. 
And sometimes they are just behaviors that develop around mealtimes because of the child's age, and they are asserting their independence. And sometimes there are unknown causes. Eating is one specific area where kids have the ultimate control. They can decide to keep their mouth closed, turn their head side to side, push your hand away when you offer bites of food, and many other physical responses to avoid eating. They do learn this really quickly, that if they don't want it to go in, it won't go in. We can't force the food into their mouths, and of course we don't want to try and force it in anyway. Talk about stressful and anxiety-provoking. A lot of times we see behaviors because of an underlying issue, whether it's sensory-based or some other reason. We have to try and find ways to support the child And this involves not only behavioral strategies, but also working on all areas that are affecting them. This is complicated and never the same from one child to the next, and sometimes from the same child one meal to the next. I feel like I've covered quite a bit with some places to get you started in the evaluation process with feeding and eating concerns. This is not a complete description of any evaluation for feeding by any means with each situation being unique, that's just not possible. I may have to continue with a part two of this topic on more strategies and activities to consider. I didn't want to try and cover all of that in one show because I think it's just too much information at one time. I think this is an excellent opportunity, though, for me to remind you that my book is also available for purchase through Amazon. It is called Play With Your Food, How to Get Your Toddler to Eat. It's a quick read, a shorter book. I wanted to try and give parents and therapists new to feeding therapy some strategies and information to get them going. It is not meant to be a comprehensive feeding guide. The focus is mainly on how tactile sensory processing affects eating with some kids, how to recognize it, and what to do to try and help them become better eaters. You might be able to find some answers in the book regarding activities to try and encourage children to eat a larger variety of foods until I can get part two of this topic out for you. This week on Thursday, April 5th, marks my one-year anniversary of putting out my first episode of this show. So check back on Thursday for a special celebration where I will give a little intro and then I will be replaying the very first episode for you as a reminder of where we started in all of this. Thank you for listening and have a great day.